Thank you for joining me today. I am so excited to see you and to talk with you about something that is very, very important to me. It is the conversation about shame. That's what this conversation I'm having with you is about today. It is so difficult to converse about this. I have to admit that I woke up this morning and I was like, oh my God, I need just to do this. I need to settle into this. And I need to remind myself that shame is an ongoing process. Getting through it, learning about it, discovering shame in my life is an ongoing process and it isn't going to go away overnight. And in fact, it might never go away because it is here on our planet. So many of us feel it that every day we interact with shame on so many levels. And one of the places I want to focus today is the narrative and the story of shame in our life. What does shame sound like? We talk a lot about how it feels, but I, I'm so well-versed with how it feels. <laughs> I just like, I don't have the freedom of feeling shameless. So what I'd like to do is dive into the narrative and story that shame develops in our minds, develops in our thoughts, the cycling thoughts and narratives and stories we tell ourselves. You know, I've heard it say that thoughts become feelings. Thoughts and feelings become action. Thoughts, feelings, action become beliefs and a way of living. And if that's true, I can be certain, absolutely 100% certain that I have lived a whole life built on a foundation of shame. And I can say that because I, at 47 years old, have taken a lot of time to introspect, to look at the processes that have gotten me to this stage in my life. And as I look back at what do I believe about things? How did I become so angry? How did I become so exhausted? What was I believing that drove me to live at full throttle all day, every day to please who? How come I'm so exhausted? Why do I feel like I don't belong? Why am I afraid of putting myself out there? I have all these questions about why I do what I do. And as I dipped into those questions and began to kind of, you know, scratch the surface, I discovered that there was some shame underneath that. 
And as I walked into the space in my life where I could see some shame, I started noticing, okay, well, when did shame happen? And that's when it took me back to some really foundational, formative times in my life. And they, they started in my childhood. And I, you know, and I know that so many of us understand that trauma happens in our childhood and in our teenage years. And it really can set us up for how we live our lives. If that trauma, no matter how big, no matter how small, is not addressed, it can shape us. And with that knowledge, I bring us into this conversation today to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and share with you my origin of shame. Now, I have a whole bunch of um, origins of shame that I have discovered. But the main one I want to talk to you about today is is an important one to me right now. And it doesn't, and I want to be really clear too, I'm not putting them on a scale that says most important, least important. But as you listen, I I know you'll understand where I'm coming from on this and why I am choosing this particular example and this particular origin of shame for me to share today. I had a really difficult time um, a few years ago and I found myself in just a state of panic. I had a panic attack, which I'd never had before. Um, Well, let me rephrase that. I've had panic attacks before. I've just never known it because I've been going full throttle and because I've exhausted myself into oblivion, um, trying to please everybody and do everything because I feel like that's how I can define myself. It really, I just was so numb to it. I was numb to the idea that I was having a panic attack. I didn't know. And I wasn't really aware until I went to, uh, had some EMDR therapy and my therapist said, you, you had a panic attack and, and that's okay. And when he said it to me, I was like, I didn't as if that was shameful. And I remember thinking afterwards, as I was recalling this, um, experience that I had had with my partner, Dave, I remember saying to him, you know, I just felt so much shame about that, that I actually had a panic attack. And he said, why would you feel shameful about it? And I said, well, because if I feel panic, that means I'm not able to handle all of the things in my life. And that feels like I'm dropping balls and it feels like I can't hold it together. And I'm living and building my whole life so that I can hold it together. And I just thought that was really interesting. So I went to this EMDR uh, appointment because I had a panic attack. And you know what I did? Uh, it's just crazy. But uh, I, I didn't know what it was. And I felt it in my body. And I couldn't get out of my body. And I felt like my body was such an unsafe place. And 
And I got in my car and I drove. <laughs> and I'm thinking now, um, that's probably not what you should do when you have a panic attack. Anyway, especially when you have a fast car. Um, but I, I did that and, and everybody was safe and I was safe. But that was a, just an interesting little piece there. But I had this EMDR appointment and he said to me, I want you to imagine uh, that your trauma that you're experiencing, Lori, is similar to a string of Christmas lights. So for those of you who are, are listening to the podcast and not watching the video, I am holding in my hand a strand of 10 multicolored Christmas lights, and they're just all on a strand. And that's what I'm holding in my hand. So I'm going to refer to this frequently. And it's, uh, I just want you to have the visual. Most people can visualize what a strand of lights looks like. Um, and this is what I'm holding. So he said, imagine that the, the cord is connected to a box that plugs into the wall. Now, in this situation, it's an electric box. It's a battery powered. So there's a little battery pack here. But in most cases, you know, you plug it in the wall and that's where your source, your, your, your source and power comes from. I said, imagine that your source and power is the place where you sit. This is the seat of your soul. This is where you, when you have the wildest dreams in your life, this is where it all begins and you feel empowered and you, learned as you explore self-growth and transformation, this is where you draw from, this beautiful source. This is liquid consciousness poured into flesh and bone. And this is where you, your seat in your soul is. And imagine that we all have cords coming out of that place of power. And in this situation, Lori, you're sitting in the chair and you're having a panic attack because you have chronic PTSD from some experiences in your life, from living a life in a dysfunctional family, under some abuse and having a hard time dealing with it. You learned how to cope. You learned how to change who you were so that you could be accepted, valued and loved and loved because life was difficult for you as a young girl. And I was like, yeah. And he said, so some of those cords are going to have lights on them and they're going to, the lights are like memories. These are like memories that are all attached. And so if you have shame in your life, this strand is the strand of shame. And there might be 10 lights on here. There might be a hundred or a thousand, depending on your context and your situation. And through this process of EMDR, we are going to begin to turn those lights out. <laughs> we are going to discover and uncover some of those core memories that have caused you to build your foundation on shame and fear and anxiety. And I went, huh, okay. And so I use that now to share with you the foundation in which I'm bringing this conversation to you. It's on a basis of, I want to dive into shame. I want to dive into the cord and the light strand of shame in my life, 
And I want to be honest with you and share with you how I have identified and restored some of these memories that were so shameful and painful and how they have turned into beauty, that there's a jewel inside of the pain. Because for many of us, we are in the flame of shame. We feel shame. And so you might think, well, well, I don't know if I feel shame. I, I don't know. I, I can't really identify with it. Well, let me just bring up my notes and give you a few examples of the shame narrative in my mind. This is my personal journal that I'm, I'm reading from. And maybe you can identify it. And if you're, if you, if you are unaware that shame exists in your life, you may feel or resonate with some of the things that I'm saying. So on my page in my journal, I have one side of the page that says, instead of them knowing. And then on the other side, I have, I believed. And what this did for me was helped me think about this helped me think about the abusers in my life, the bullies in my life, my family of origin, how their response and their lack of response pushed me into a belief. When I experienced shame, I then believed something. So, so they didn't know how to love me and therefore I believed I was unlovable. They didn't know how to protect me. I believed that I was not deserving of protection. They did not believe me when I told the truth of what I'd experienced. And I believed that I was a liar. I learned to self-doubt any time I could tell the truth or I said what was true. I, it was followed quickly by self-doubt and then quickly by the narrative and a conversation in my head that said, but you're a liar and you're a failure. What you say isn't true. Instead of knowing that they had dark secrets, I believed my heart was to be kept a secret, that my body was to be kept a secret. Instead of them seeking help for hurting me and other people, I believed that I was so beyond help. Instead of them knowing that I needed a safe place to talk, I believed that I was alone. Those are just some of the things that I wrote in my journal. 
And perhaps some of those resonate with you. All of those on the strand, though, my Christmas-like strand, develop core memories. Those are thoughts and feelings about shame. Now, we ask ourselves, well, what is, what is your definition of shame, Lori? Well, my definition of shame is that I am unworthy of belonging in this world. That who I am is not worthy of the space to be here. That's, in my view, the definition of, of, of shame. And I lived out of that for years. So you know what happened is I experienced shame at seven years old. Didn't know I experienced shame in the moment. I felt bad. I felt numb. All those different things, you know, all my emotions happened in this, in these moments. But really it wasn't until I was in my forties where I was very aware that shame was a part of that. And so I began to, at seven years old, believe that I did not have a voice, that my heart needed to be kept a secret, that I had no safe place. So if I believed that, I had to think at first because my experience came to me and I was like, oh my God, I can't handle this. And then I started thinking thoughts. Well, why did that happen? And you know, you go through your, your process in that. But what happened is the thought became a feeling and the feeling became insecurity and sadness and loneliness and depression. And guess what? I began to make decisions in my life out of the thought, the feeling, and then it became the action. And then choices happened. And next thing you know, I have... I look back and I built my life on a foundation that had a lot of shame in it. And now I get to unlearn, unpack, you know, rediscover. I get to do all those things. It's not fun. It's actually really messy and it feels really difficult. One core memory that was <clears throat> on my strand that is the memory that I'm dealing with now. And this is why this is why this is really important and I'm using this uh, strand of lights. So when I did the EMDR, he said, listen, we're gonna discover the one memory. We're not gonna go to the, the biggest memory here, Lori. We're not gonna go to the one that is so painful and difficult for you because there are so many in front of it that we need to, we need to go to this one. We need to unlock this one first. And then once we begin to unlock, this will begin to unlock as well. So don't worry. You can feel safe. You can feel safe in knowing that we're not going to the deepest place yet. We're just going to go to the surface. What's on the surface? And that really helped me begin to trust the process and to trust that I could begin to walk through the valley of shame and it was going to be okay, that I was going to be okay, that it would be painful, but not like that 
gut aching, excruciating pain, but just like, oh, oh, that's heavy. So what started happening for me is I began to see places in my life where I was struggling. So right now, I'm struggling. And this is what I'd love to share with you. And if any of you identify with this, well, you know, we, we're, we're, we're together. <laughs> so where I struggle is I have a fear of being seen. I just should pause here because it is quite ridiculous, don't you think? <laughs> I'm like, even my dog, I, I don't think you can see her. If, if you're in video, you can maybe, but this black lump on the chair is my, is my dog. And she's laying there looking at me going, just record this thing already. Man, we've been through tears, haven't we? So I have a lot of shame in this fear. I feel so vulnerable in being seen in this way. And some of you might say, well, then why are you doing this? <laughs> well, because I have a podcast and I have a podcast that I love and I love listening to people's stories and I love sharing them with you. But there's a point in time where you have to show your audience who you are as a host. And this is who I am. And I'm afraid to tell you. Where it's showing up for me, though, is not in this arena because I'm sitting here. And I'm happy to have written notes and to share with you where I'm at in the core of shame, in the fire of shame. But where I'm not okay with being seen is on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and social media. In fact, when I pick up my phone to do a like a story, what happens to me is I freeze. I literally become numb. I cannot write captions. I cannot, for the life of me, create a story. It's bizarre. And I'm like, this does not fit. So for you who are listening, that's really the beginning stage is to Look at, okay, what am I battling every day? What is reoccurring over and over and over again for me that maybe I feel, I notice that I'm feeling this a lot. I notice I'm thinking this a lot. I notice that I'm talking about this a lot. These are some of the ways in which you can begin to say, okay, okay, that might be a narrative. Well, what happened in my life that led me to that place? Because I'm a very charismatic person. I'm an empowered woman. I know who I am. I've learned so much in my life. Why am I so resistant here? And more importantly, why do I freeze? And, and then when I asked that question, I started noticing the thoughts. And this is what we are going to talk about over all of these conversations that we're about to have with different guests that are coming on. What was the genesis of shame for you as a young person? 
But then how did it show up in your adult life? And how did you notice it? How did you go back to that memory or that experience and reframe it or restore your relationship with shame in that moment? That's the point of this conversation. And it's what I am, I feel it's just privileged to be able to do this. But it is hard and it's difficult. And I'm the living proof of it. You know, I've done, like I said, this is the eighth recording, full recording. It means it's like seven hours of recording. And I just junked it because I can't, I can't get my crap together. And it's not that I can't get my crap together. It's that I'm afraid of saying something to you that is not correct. I'm afraid. I'm terrified of being judged. I don't have a problem in being seen. But it's when I say the truth of what I know, I'm terrified. And that comes from an origin of shame. When I was a young, you know, in elementary school, I was severely bullied for a learning difference. I just couldn't retain math. I was unable to do it. And I found myself in these situations where it all started where, you know, my one teacher would give us a math problem and you'd have to solve it in a minute. And I just would freeze. I, I, I was not confident in my math skills and it was very difficult for me. And I'd consistently get zero. And we went to him. We had a conversation with him. My parents had a conversation with him. But for some reason, he would just not, he did not see the value of protecting me. And I would, he would consistently say, what is your score in front of the whole class? And what was happening is that my, at the beginning, my classmates were fine about it. They were kind. They were like, oh my goodness, that must suck that you got zero. But after the, you know, two weeks of that, they are like, wow, you know, um, you're stupid. And that's what they started saying. And then I and then recess would happen and they'd bully me and, oh, it was just a mess. And then I couldn't get out of that. I couldn't get away from it. And it, it became this taunting thing. And the more I defended myself, the harder they pushed back. And it was really, really difficult for me. And then in my grade six and seven year, in particular, the seventh year, the, this, the different teacher that I'd had, but I'd had him for two years because it was a split class and he knew of the struggle that I was having in math. And he um, had me go to the board. Um, and the difference with this teacher was he was really nice to me after school uh, when I would come to him for math help. But during the class, he was really mean. And he'd pick on me. And he'd say things like, I'll bet Lori can't get this one. And it was just brutal. And what's crazy is that that experience was so hard for me because I know people that were in that class and they, they feel bad. They actually have said even now, wow, like that sucked for you. <laughs> so my memory was accurate in, in that, but this particular moment, particular day, he had me stand up and do this math equation. It was division and I couldn't get it. And he started mocking me and making fun of me. And, um, my friend tried to help me and he gave her a detention 
And because I was taking too long, he gave me an attention as well. And I sat the clock out. I remember watching the clock. It was 20 minutes. And I stood there crying and shaking and totally frozen. And that was it. And I was punished for it. It was a, you know, it was, I had a detention after. And I just remember literally saying to myself, I remember what I was wearing. And I remember saying to myself, I will never expose myself in front of people again. Who I am is not important. Look at me. I'm so different. I'm different. How come I don't have the learning capacity that everybody else in this classroom has? What's wrong with me? If this is me and look at who I am, and I know I'm a kind, loving, compassionate, young, fun, beautiful girl, and no one can see that. And all they can see is that I'm stupid in math. And really then I'm bullied for that. And now I'm alone and isolated. And the person that's supposed to be protecting me as a teacher is doing the same thing. I, I, I can't ever be seen again. Perhaps you can see where the correlation is. Perhaps you can see on the string of lights. That's not the core. I mean, it, it's a good, it's, it's part of the strand. It's, it's very close to the core. But it was one of the first ones I dealt with. That I dealt with the experience and the, the narrative of shame in my life. And so now I sit here before you and I have that fear. I just, it feels pressureful. I'm pressureful. Well, let's, let's pretend it's a word. It just feels so heavy. Oh yeah, Lori, you're going to sit there and you will just have to scream to be heard. No one's going to protect you. It's so unsafe to put your vulnerability out there. And there I am. When I go to pick up my phone for social media and do a little Instagram story, it's like I'm standing at the chalkboard again. That is how the foundation of shame builds in our life. We don't really know it until maybe we take some time to think about it. And I would say that shame for me, um, when I was driving myself to exhaustion, I couldn't feel shame as much because um, that was a moment where I was so busy and I, then I was so tired that I didn't really want to feel anyway. I couldn't feel. It was just avoidance. And so it was getting to the bottom of this that really helped me discover some of the core connections and the core conflicts that I had with shame. And that's really it. Instead of him knowing, my teacher knowing that it was important to protect me. I believed that I was not worth being protected. Instead of the class knowing that I was super kind, I was loving, I was sweet, I was thoughtful, I was compassionate, I was interested in who they were as people, as my peers. I believed that I was unlovable, that I did not belong. Instead of knowing that I was receiving help for my, for education, 
I believed that I was just stupid. Core beliefs become thoughts, become feeling, become action, become a well-worn path that we just keep walking on over and over and over again. And it's so deeply entrenched. That rut is so deep. It is really hard to get out of that and to step out of that rut and move down a new path. Identifying the narrative of shame for your life. How does it reflect to you? Where's your well-worn path? Where have you just worn it down? And climbing out of that path and making a new way feels maybe overwhelming. Sometimes looking at the messiness and, and pain of the experiences in our life will leave us feeling alone and anxious and worried and running away, especially when we use the word shame, because the feeling of shame is so deep. It's so heavy. It's so, it's so um, visceral. But even more are the thoughts that we feel about shame. Because that narrative is the private narrative. It's the narrative of who the hell do you think you are? Getting the, the, the nerve to sit in your office and to talk about shame. Who the hell do you think you are? You've got nothing to say, Lori Clark. You have nothing to offer anybody anyway. This experience of shame, pff, you're making it up. Yeah, it's because you're so traumatized in your life. You've had so much pain that you're just making this up. You've got no, no one's going to want to hear about your pain. Oh, and then when you do, you know what they're going to do, right? They're going to judge you. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to come and they're going to write in and they're going to say, you should never have said that. What the hell are you doing? Right? This is what happens here. Or I'm in the middle of this and the thought, as I'm, in, as I'm speaking, the thought comes in my mind, you shouldn't have said that. That's stupid. This is just, just get, be done with this and then put this interview in the trash again. Wait till tomorrow and record again. Uh, if I listened to that, I'd be doing this every day for the next, you know, and it would become insanity. I just want you to know that I'm not going to tap out. And I hope that you don't tap out when it comes to vulnerability. And I hope you don't tap out when it comes to thinking about shame. We always have, or I always have at least defense responses when it comes to shame. But I didn't feel that. I don't feel that, you know, the protective and the emotions come. The protection, the emotions, the different levels that come because it's your body is trying to keep you safe. And I am looking forward to having conversations with professionals who can contribute to this in a, in a powerful way because I'm not a therapist. I am not trained. I am a life liver. And I've experienced things along the way that I, I feel I can share because I know it'll benefit you. 
beginning to look at the narrative of shame in your life and what your thoughts are around it and how you think about something is really important. I believe that we can do the work. We can do our own work. And that's the beauty of what I did with my therapist. I I went, I had a conversation with him. We had a whole bunch of sessions. And then I walked away and I began to do the work. And when I'm when I'm stuck and I can't do the work, I go back to my therapy. But really, we have the power to heal ourselves. We have the power to look. And for for many years, I was like, oh my God, I'm too happy to look at shame. <laughs> I'm so joyful right now. Why would I wreck my life and look at shame? I am, my life is so good. My career is so good. My marriage, my friendships, my kids, my life. Why would you ask me to look at shame right now? I know. I can't answer that for you. But I just want to encourage you that wherever you are on the journey, you get to choose and you get to do the work. I love this book. I've loved it. I, I was on the waiting list for not, uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera when she wrote the book, How to Do the Work. Um, I've been a fan of hers for a long time. And she, um, one thing on, um, she says, you are your own best healer, which I like. And what I really value about her work is that she, she talks to you and then she gives you like a little, a little journal to do. And she, to how to do the work if you're stuck. And I really appreciated that. And so she encourages us, um, on in, this is page 19. She says, you know, reflecting on some questions about being stuck while also exploring the reasons why you feel stuck in these areas is really helpful. For instance, you may be able to identify patterns in your life, thoughts, emotions, behaviors that keep you, that keep you repeating these unhelpful patterns. And it may help to explore these in a journaling exercise. And that's what I did. And so as I, as we wrap up this conversation, that's what I did. I, I, I took this and I went, okay, like, let me do a page that said, if my abusers understood what was going on in their life and understood the value of human nature and human kindness, what would they be thinking? And how would I have interpreted that. And I went to page 20, one of her, one of her examples, her questions. And she says, do you often find yourself feeling overwhelmed or unable to cope with stress or any or all of your feelings? Do you often find yourself repeating past experiences and patterns in your day-to-day life? And that is how I went back. Yes, I do. I, I do have a repeating experience and pattern. And it is that I feel I can't, I just can't do social media. Well, why can't you do it? Well, because, and then that's the unlocking. The beauty of doing your own work, you can get a therapist whenever you want, but the beauty of doing your own work is that you choose how deep you want to go. There's no judgment. None. We all 
have the freedom to do our own thing. And we all get to choose. And that's what I love about it. So you know what? Um, Thank you so much for this conversation. And I would like to say now that this Shame Out Loud series is a good one. And I would encourage you to listen because this is not a how to get out of shame. This is a here we go into shame. This series is going to lead you into the fire, into your own fire, not my fire. I'm going to use my fire, my shame, my feeling of being in hell as I deal with shame as my experiences that lead me to a deeper freedom. I feel lighter. I feel less stress. I feel more aware. I'm able to do social media and social media work because I'm getting in touch with, I'm not at a chalkboard. <laughs> I'm not on deck here. I, it's not a math equation that I actually need to solve. This is purely just allowing my life to be the experience. I am really excited for this series. As we begin to unpack the effects of shame in our lives and really begin to call shame out loud and say, hey, shame, I see you. You're here. And I'm not afraid of you. You know, that's the one piece that I have learned in the last uh, year is the thought of shame, because the experience was so profound, I have always wanted to avoid shame. But as I look at shame and I see it for what it is in my life and I talk to it and I say, shame, you're here, you're in my thoughts and this is what I'm feeling. It's almost like the power or the hold of shame begins to reduce. My experience is that when we can call shame out loud and say its name, we can identify where the resistance is, it, it, for some reason, it just loses some power. That's the encouraging piece. And so bringing people on to have their conversation and give us their story on how they had an experience in their lifetime that caused them to set a line of thought, set a line of feelings, set the line of action that became pattern and habits and how they realized, oh my gosh, I'm 60, I'm 50, I'm 35, and I'm dealing with this right now and I have to trace it back. And I decided that that origin of experience was in shame. And now I lived it out and I didn't know. And now I know, and look at, I can move now. I can move through it. The shame doesn't go away. It just loses its hold. Exciting stuff. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to be here for you. Um, I can't walk it for you. 
because shame is different for everybody. But I definitely can stand with you as I burn in my own fire because <laughs> I am not, I am not immune to shame. Um, I can give you experiences that I've had that you might be able to find something in there for yourself. That's what this journey is all about. Not telling people how to do it, but giving you my experience so that you might find something there that you might say, oh my gosh, Lori, I didn't have that same experience, but boy, that reminds me of something that happened to me. And because you were able to say it, I actually was able to think about it. And now I'm feeling a little bit lighter myself. That's the goal. That's the plan. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see you in the next episode of Shame Out Loud.